Hello, and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Wolf Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me once again. If you haven't clicked subscribe or follow, go ahead and do that right now. New episodes come out every single Wednesday morning, and you guys are going to want to check them out. You can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. On today's show, we're going to talk a little about how to deal with aggression. Yes, not always a pretty or happy topic, uh, but we're going to give you some tips on how to go about dealing with that safely. Then we're going to talk on how to know if your dog needs more exercise. Are you giving your dog enough exercise? Well, you'll find out. <laughs> then comes our newest segment to the show, The First Pets, where we feature, uh, well, we feature a president each week and talk about the pets in the White House. Then comes the listener Q&A, and if you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, you can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com, or feel free to just message me on social media as well. Now, before we get going with today's show, gotta give you that trivia question, and today's question is going to be, what is the largest living organism in the world? Yes, what is the largest living organism in the world? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast, how to deal with aggression. I've got a few clients recently where we've got some dogs with some aggressive tendencies that we're having to deal with, we're having to train. And, you know, it's not always the most black and white uh, thing, not, not always the most black and white behavioral issue to have, to have. We've got aggressive tendencies in a dog. So we're going to talk a bit about that today. But before we do, uh, you know, as anytime I talk about aggression, we kind of have to give this little, uh, not necessarily a disclaimer, but distinction, right? There's a distinction between a truly aggressive dog and a dog with aggressive tendencies. Thankfully, Majority of dogs out there that are labeled aggressive or have some sort of aggression, majority, thankfully, majority of those dogs have aggressive tendencies and are not truly aggressive. Okay, now a truly aggressive dog, again, thank goodness, far and few in between, a truly aggressive dog is a dog who's going to be non-discriminatory, a dog who might not even need a trigger to turn and become aggressive. We're talking about a dog whose aggression is so severe that when they come at a dog, a person, when they're aggressive, their intent is to cause as much harm as possible. That is true aggression. A dog who doesn't need provocation. And thank goodness, very, very few dogs are actually like this. Majority of dogs, again, that get labeled with any kind of aggression tends to be more of an aggressive tendency. Now, whether that aggression is going to displace itself as some sort of possessiveness or resource guarding, as people are calling it now, uh, <laughs> possessiveness, whether it be possessive over a toy, a person, food, it's, it's the same issue, guys. It's possessiveness, okay? And these are specific issues, specific triggers that trigger the aggression. Hey, how about a dog who is aggressive on leash, but is not aggressive when they're off leash? Okay, I've heard that one quite a few times. Uh, you know, these are aggressive tendencies. These are certain particular circumstances and triggers that are going to trigger an aggressive uh, outcome, an, ag an aggressive behavior, in a dog. Are those dogs truly redline aggressive? No, no, they're not. Um, is it an issue? Absolutely. Is it something that can be dangerous? You betcha. Is it something that we need to deal with? Yes. Okay. So uh, aggression is, is, is one of those things where we, again, we, first and foremost, we have to understand that distinction between true aggression, aggression and aggression, aggressive tendencies. <laughs> there we go. Okay. That's where we have to start. Now, beyond that, beyond that, here's, here's the truth 
with aggressive tendencies and talks, guys. It stinks. <laughs> That's the truth. It stinks. It's never pretty. It's, it's never something anybody looks forward to dealing with. Sure, feels really good when we conquer it and when we finally make a difference in the behavior. That feels great. Uh, but actually going and dealing with aggression, nobody wants to do that. Okay, it, It's not a pretty thing. And as a matter of fact, even recently with some of these... Um, some of these newer clients, you know, they've told me where they've had other, uh, other trainers come in and say, oh yeah, we'll start. And then they just never show up. And the reason why is because they don't want to touch, they don't want to touch aggression with a 10 foot pole. They don't want to say no to the people either, which is wrong. Um, but you know, I, I understand why, look, I will say that I get why certain trainers, why some trainers don't want to deal with aggression cases. But to me, it's like, if you're going to train dogs, train dogs. You know what I mean? Dogs are predators. Aggressive tendencies sometimes come with the territory. And if you're not willing to take that on, then what are you really doing? You're, you're a puppy trainer. And all right, I guess somebody's got to do it. I, I'll do puppies and everything. Um, so look, it's not something I'm like seeking. And it's like, oh, give me the aggression. Because I, I, when I was younger, I'll tell you a story. I mean, a story, but like when I was younger and more bright eyed and bushy tailed into this and I was getting a lot of puppies to begin with and easy peasy retrievers for the first few years. And I'm going, bring me the, I want, I want the tough cases. You know, I want to solve a tough case. And I mean, I remember another uh, special behavior specialist I used to work with who was like, no, you don't. I'm like, yeah, I do. Come on, bring me the challenge. He's like, dude, no, you know, you don't. I'm like, yeah. I do. And then I started working with these cases and I, I get why. <laughs> I get why he said, no, you don't. Um, nobody wants it, guys. That's just that's just the truth. Nobody wants to deal with this. But somebody's got to take it on. Somebody needs to try to help these dogs and these owners, you know? Because aggression is one of those things where you have to be knowledgeable in what you're doing. So that's, that's look, I, we're almost five minutes in, but I got to give the disclaimer. Hire a professional. Okay, we're going to talk about some of the ways you can deal with this aggression. But guys, my disclaimer is you need to hire a professional. You need to do more than read books. You need to do more than read on the internet. You need to do more than listen to my podcast. If you have a dog with aggression tendencies, please hire a professional, uh, someone that can help you go more in depth and really figure out a good game plan in a safe and healthy way for everybody uh, to be able to tackle any of those aggressive tendencies you might be having. So if you are one of those people out there, you have an aggressive tendency dog or an aggressive dog, please, please call a professional first, okay? Um, that's, that's, that's where it's gotta begin, just please, okay? The second thing we gotta say is be careful. I know it might seem a little obvious. Guys, you gotta be careful. Look, I'm really... I've practiced this and other, be, you know, other trainers and behavior specialists have been doing this years and years. We practice uh, our craft, if you will, and we get faster and we get better. We get smarter. Sometimes we learn from bad mistakes. And I don't want you as the owner to be the one learning that bad mistake. So please be careful. Think of safety first. And with that said, look, guys, I think one of the biggest things that people hesitate on when they have an aggressive dog is trying to introduce a muzzle. I think that's where we got to start really talking about how do we actually deal with aggressiveness. A muzzle can be your best friend when dealing with uh, a dog who has aggressive tendencies. First of all, guys, like, let's just point out the obvious. <laughs> it keeps the dog from harming anybody. Boom. Harming themselves, harming other people, harming another dog, harming another animal. The muzzle really can shut that down. Okay. And as one of my current clients has already experienced, when we introduced the muzzle um, and, we, and we started trying to work through the train, the aggressive tendencies went away like 
a lot. <laughs> I kind of said that weird. Um, but the, the aggressive uh, tendencies and displacements that this dog was doing, they just kind of stopped because the dog realized it, it's not going to work. Okay, so just by shutting down that option, all of a sudden, this, look, I'll, just, I'll tell you a little about this dog. Um, I think I briefly talked about him before, actually. So we're, we're going to talk about him again. You know, he, he, to make a long story short, he doesn't like when strangers come over to the house, okay? When new people come in. And so when new people come inside, he gets very aggressive. Very aggressive. And, you know, the owner leashes him up, and you know, but he's a strong dog. <laughs> and the, you know, a side note on this, unfortunately, she had hired another trainer who gave her very bad advice. Very bad advice. Downright dangerous advice. This is another, quote, professional who literally was reinforcing this aggressive behavior, strengthening the aggression in this dog, thinking they were making it better, and they actually made the situation worse. Unbeknownst to the owner, how would they? They're not the professional. Man, that was tough, you know, to see that. It was obvious. You could see that the, the, the advice they gave made this dog worse. So guys, before you start going and trying to deal, deal with an aggressive dog, um, again, I know I say call a professional. See if you can do a little research on who that professional is. And I know you can't, you look, you can't always know, you can't always predict. Um, but see if you can try to find somebody, maybe you can find some friends and family who have a good referral for you, where they're knowledgeable of the trainer professional you're going to be working with. Uh, but just kind of want to make that side note that kind of, uh, it set us back a little bit in the training. But the point is we introduced a muzzle. And once the dog was in the muzzle, he really wasn't as interested in trying to attack me. That's progress. <laughs> That's not going to get us to the finish line, but it's progress. And it allows us to try to start managing his behavior and working with him in a safe way. And guys, in the first session that I worked with her and her dog with a muzzle on, with a muzzle on, I was able to take over the leash within a few minutes, work with him. By the end, I was petting him and he was allowing me to pet him. Uh, we were able to go by triggers that would normally send him into a frenzy that he wasn't reacting to. Okay. By the end, I also, by the end of the session, I was, uh, I went back into the apartment, into the house with, with the owner and we were able to relax and hang out. And he relaxed in front of me and was able to give in. That was kind of unheard of. I mean, really, it was unheard of to be able to warm up to somebody that fast. And it's all because all we did was eliminate the option of the aggression, and so this is why I implore you, if you've got a dog with aggressive tendency, try to start introducing a muzzle. Now, the way we do that is we do it very slowly. Take your time. All you want to do is bring the muzzle out. And look, if your dog will take treats from you in a safe way, if your dog is cool with you, and that's why in this scenario, dog has no problem with the owner, just doesn't like strange people. <laughs> so she was able to give treats and bring the muzzle out near the dog. That's where we started. And then she just put it on the dog's nose just a little bit, takes it off immediately, gives him a treat. Okay. Warm him up slowly, baby steps baby steps. And then she'd put the muzzle on the dog and close and tighten it, right? Let it stay on there for just a few seconds and then pull it off. Now, of course, he didn't love it at first. He tried pawing at it and she would work on redirecting. And that's a side note as well. Guys, make sure the muzzle is properly adjusted and properly tightened before you start going into any training where they could potentially get it off. Because here's the thing, the very beginning of the training, we went outside, he was, and this is why I let the owner handle the dog first so I can observe and see how the muzzle is. Uh, he was able to paw the muzzle off. <laughs> now, I think the latch hadn't latched all the way. Look, I prefer a muzzle that has a, um, what do you call that? I mean, it's, it's like a belt. Right. You know what I mean? Like a, like a nylon collar that you feed through a, a belt. What in the world? There's got to be a name for that. I'm probably really obvious that I'm feeling stupid right now, but that's OK. Uh, but I prefer that as opposed to a plastic clip. 
Number one, a plastic clip can break. And I don't know why they make muzzles with plastic clips. Kind of seems like something you shouldn't put a plastic clip on. Call me crazy. Um, but yeah, I don't think it latched all the way and he was able to get the muzzle off. Now, put it back on, tighten it down a little more. And then I just kept redirecting with the leash and was able to get him to leave the muzzle alone. Okay. But point is, I want you to introduce a muzzle slowly, take your time and get them used to it. Because what I had my client do was when I left, we had one week in between my consultation and our first session. And so that allowed her to get the proper tools, get the muzzle, introduce it slowly, get him comfortable with it, take some videos for me to let me see how he's doing with it. It really allowed us to, to take our time and introduce it properly and it worked really well. Okay. So when it comes to dealing with aggression, a muzzle can be your best friend. People really get muzzles, muzzles, guys. It's, it's a safety thing and it can be an amazing tool. Now, eventually we're going to have to work to get the muzzle off. Uh, that takes a little more time and practice. <laughs> we will get there. Um, but we got to start with the muzzle on. Okay. Another thing with aggression is I want you to minimize, you know, to start with, you need to try to minimize these triggers, right? We don't want your dog triggered all the time and ending up in this really overexcited state of mind too much. So if you know there are triggers that you can prevent, whether that be just putting toys away before another dog comes over uh, because they're only nasty with another dog when there's a toy around, you know, um, setting up preventative measures like that, feeding your dog in a crate in a different room if you have other dogs over, okay? Um, all these little preventative things that really go a long way because the more your dog practices aggressive behavior, the worse it's going to get. The more they practice it, the more they're getting away with it, the more they're getting away with it, the more they're getting reinforced for it, the more a dog gets reinforced, obviously, the stronger the behavior becomes, the more likely they're going to want to be to repeat that behavior, okay? So if you can minimize the triggers for their aggression, uh, let's say your dog really is doesn't like people coming in the house and you have a ton of windows in the front of your house and every time somebody goes by, the dog... Rah, 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 Install some curtains, guys. Put some blinds in. <laughs> you have to minimize these things to be able to train and control them. I'm not saying that's going to fix your problem, but this is one way we've got to deal with aggression is trying to take these, these over, eh, overexcited, over, 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 when you get to aggression, you are, you're, you're on the spectrum of excitement. You're way past overexcitement and into the aggression phase, but it is that it's that overexcited state of mind that sends them into that. So if you can manage, manage that, it really goes a long way. Another big thing with aggression, and look, this is this is a tough thing because, um, you know, this is one thing I'm dealing with. I'm a current client, perfect example again. You know, her dog has a ton of energy, but it was very difficult to walk him because he was aggressive. <laughs> you know, he, he might get aggressive at people or or what have. So it was hard and and a little unsafe for her to walk him um, enough. And so I noticed how much energy this dog has built up. And if he has all this built up energy and he has aggressive tendencies, he is going to be much more likely to repeat those aggressive tendencies if he has that built up energy. Exercise. What does it always come back to with dog training? My gosh, if you regular listeners out there, if you played a drinking game where every time I said exercise your dog, you'd be wasted. <laughs> I don't recommend doing that. Nope, please don't do that. I'm not encouraging that. Um, <laughs> But I mean, in all seriousness, guys, it always comes back to exercise. Anytime I have a dog, anytime I get a phone call for a dog with aggressive tendencies, do you think that dog's getting enough exercise? The answer 100% of the time is no. No. So many of these behavioral issues that we see in our pets can be prevented with exercise, proper exercise, but exercise, guys. Oh, I can't, I mean... 
you know, we, we, what we talked about this last episode, you know, the order of things and the, and the way we do things and high energy breeds was another segment on the last episode. And what did I say in the high energy breeds, how much people really should be walking their dogs and how many people don't. Okay. Let's not forget guys, dogs were bred for a purpose. And if we don't give them that purpose, and one of the most basic ways we can give them a purpose is a proper walk. Uh, if we don't give them that purpose, they get frustrated. When they get frustrated, we get, we get lashing out, we get displacements and unfortunately, with a predator who's bored and frustrated and understimulated, a predator, what do you think that lashing out is going to look like a lot of times? Aggressive tendencies. So if you have an aggressive dog, or excuse me, aggressive tendency, either way, right? Uh, most of you are going to have dogs with aggressive tendencies, as we discussed. Um, but the point is, if there's any kind of aggression going on, you have got to exercise your dog, guys. Now, again, I know this puts us in a tough situation because if you have an aggressive uh, dog who has aggressive tendencies, who lashes out of the other dogs on leash, how in the world do you go for a walk in your neighborhood? It's not easy. Maybe you need to wake up early and go find a nice empty state park nearby. Find a nice walking trail that's empty at certain times of days. Maybe you need to buy a doggy treadmill. Maybe you need to wake up at four o'clock in the morning and walk your dog in the neighborhood when nobody else is out. I know, not ideal, but it's what you got to do. There are workarounds for these things to get your dog on a better track. Okay. Um, but more than anything, I really wanted to hone in on, uh, you know, these, these couple things today when dealing with aggression, because I found they are, they are by far the most important things. Number one, hire professional guys. You have to, because you have to be knowledgeable in what you're doing. Uh, number two is you got to think about safety first. It's always about safety for your dog and yourself first. Please be mindful. Please be smart when doing these things. And again, that's why you got to hire a professional. Okay. Next thing is that muzzle. I know we sometimes think of a muzzle as those oh, horrible, but man, it's a wonderful tool. It can actually make your dog feel more comfortable by eliminating that option of letting them feel like they need to be uh, aggressive or have this tendency to be aggressive. Okay. So a muzzle is going to be your best friend. Get it, introduce it, uh, and get your dog comfortable with it. Okay. And then that other thing, exercise more important than anything when it comes to dog training is exercising your dog. Exercising your dog properly is not only going to make them physically tired, but it's going to put them in a better mental state. A dog that's in a better mental state doesn't necessarily feel the need to be anxious, to be aggressive, to, to feel like they need to be possessive, all these different things. The, the, the more exercised they are, the happier and healthier they are. And it holds true for us too, right? So it's not going to hurt to get yourself out there and get a little more exercise. Definitely doesn't hurt me. And of course, your dog needs that. So guys, these these are the, this is this is the foundation of how we go about dealing with aggression. So again, guys, be smart, be safe, hire a professional, get out there, exercise your dog, and introduce that muzzle in a safe way. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website www.thenatureoftraining.com or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet.
next on Speak a Dogcast, how to know if your dog needs more exercise. Now look, I'll be honest, majority of the dogs in this country, vast majority, not exaggerating in the slightest, are under-exercised. You heard me. The vast majority of pets of dogs in the United States are way under-exercised. I know this because I'm a professional. <laughs> take, take my word for it. I'm a professional. Uh, no, I, I mean that truthfully, guys. Do you know how many times I walk into people's homes and they have a high-energy breed and they ask me how much they should be walking and exercising their dogs and I tell, look at them and go, you need at least like an hour and a half minimum of walks and exercise a day. And the jaws drop to the floor and people look at me and go, you're crazy. I don't have time for that. And I look at them and I go, I do sometimes. I really do. I look at them and go, then why did you get a dog? Guys, dogs are animals that have needs. Just like us, right? They have instinctual built-in needs. And every animal on this planet needs a job. And more so than anything, dogs are migratory pack animals, right? That means they move. <laughs> they go places. They explore. They hunt. They, they seek out smells, sights, sounds, smells more than anything. But that all comes with the pack walk, exercise. And it blows my mind how many people get dogs and just don't want to exercise. And the dogs are a fixture in their home. Guys, dogs are not fixtures. They're not pieces of furniture. They're not an expensive artwork you put on the wall because you spent $4,500 on this designer French bulldog. Like, no. They are living creatures with needs, with fundamental instinctual needs that need to be met, need to be fulfilled. And when you do that, they're the greatest damn creatures on this planet, you know? But they can only reach their maximum potential if you let them, if you help them reach that maximum potential. The only way any pet, any dog on this planet reaches, the only way any living creature reaches their potential is if in some way, in some form or another, they are pushed there. Yeah, I truly believe that. I, I know that. I don't truly believe, that's not a belief. That's, that's knowledge. That's experience, you know? So, dogs need exercise. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why this is like this brand new crazy concept to people that dogs need exercise, but they need a lot of it. They need way more than you think they do. Even your little shih tzu, Believe it or not, even your little Pomeranian, even poodles. People think miniature poodles are like, you know, grandma dogs. And people don't realize what poodles are bred for. Hey, check out that breed of the week. It's way back there. Um, <laughs> but we did a poodle breed of the week a long time ago. And if any of you listen to that, you know. Poodles are, are like hardcore dogs, man. They can swim. They can hunt. They can, they're, they're agile. You know, they were bred to be a versatile, amazing dog. And how many people think poodles are little proofroo things, you know? Far from it. If you've ever really truly worked with a poodle, uh, they're, 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 they're awesome. I mean, they really are. They're high energy. They can be intense in a good way if you channel it correctly. So these animals, at the end of the day, these dogs, they need exercise. And they need a lot more of it, guys. Okay? It's just, it's just it is the truth. When I walk into people's homes... Um, you know, I mentioned this I think, a couple episodes ago that I've, I've literally never walked into somebody's house and they exercise their dogs enough and properly. It's never happened because if they did, I wouldn't need to be there. <laughs> I mean, come on, if they did, they, they don't really need me because they're training their dog uh, and training them well. So look, we, sometimes we rescue dogs and they have behavioral issues we don't know what to do with. And I, I get that. 
But at the end of the day, guys, the answer is exercise, 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 and more exercise. Now, how do you know? Let's say you are exercising your dog. How do you know if your dog needs more exercise? Hmm. Now, puppies aside, we're going to exclude puppies from this, but you have to ask the question, if your dog is not a puppy, if they're a full-grown adult dog, does your dog still get the zoomies constantly every single day? Everybody knows the zoomies. The zoomies, believe it or not, it's your dog's way of telling you, I have so much energy and I need to get it out. That's why puppies tend to do it at the end of the night, right? Ah, a lot of people go, oh yeah, my puppy did that at the end, like 9 p.m. every single night. Because it's really hard for us to get all the energy of a puppy out. I mean, come on, guys, they're puppies. They're growing. The energy's constantly being pumped and then drained and then pumped and then drained. <laughs> they're like this constant thing. Um, so for a puppy to have zoomies, and that's why I exclude it, a little different. But if I have a full-grown adult dog and they've got this constant almost, uh, not quite obsessive, but it happens daily where they just need to get this. They're trying to tell you, I've got pent-up energy and I need to get it out because you're not helping me get it out. That's one way we can know. Does your dog spin a lot? People come over, whatever the trigger might be. We tend to view these things as being cute and adorable. But really, from a behavioral perspective, your dog is telling you that they're understimulated and that they need more exercise. How about is your dog destructive, right? Does your dog destroy things that they shouldn't? <laughs> well, hell, even if they're destroying... Look, some dogs do destroy toys more than others. Some dogs just tend to be more mouthy and more uh, destructive. That can be part of a personality tendency or breed tendency, of course. Um, but if they're like overly destructive, you know, like overly destructive to their toys, try giving them more exercise and see if that helps. But if we're talking destructive of like shoes and furniture, right? Like the ripping up Z cushions and stuff, man, your dog is like screaming at you. Take me for a damn walk, buddy. <laughs> okay. Guys, again, I just, I have to reiterate it. We, we really like, I, I, we forget, we forget that dogs were bred for a specific purpose. They were not bred as pets. It, it, having a dog as a pet is such a relatively new concept. Sure, there are stories of people loving their dogs and having close attachments, but guys, on the whole, dogs were considered dirty creatures. We didn't have a way to to um, to deal with fleas, to deal with ticks, to keep them off. We didn't have medications for these things. We didn't have shampoos for these things. So dogs tended to be outside animals. They really were a uh, a tool. At the end of the day, people really don't like to hear that, but it's the truth. Dogs were bred for specific reasons as a tool, as a way to utilize hunting or pulling or keeping vermin away or the plethora of jobs that we've given dogs over the years. But then we hit the Victorian era, era where all of a sudden people had a ton of money and they didn't need to hunt. They didn't need to do these things as a means of necessity. And all of a sudden dogs became sort of this fixture in our homes. And it's only been in the last 200 or so years that dogs have really taken on this new purpose in our lives as humans. And unfortunately, that purpose is specifically built for us, isn't it? Right? It is. That purpose is built for us. And we don't think about their purpose, their needs, their instinctual needs. Now, the Labrador Retriever is, is the most popular dog in the United States. It's one of my favorite dogs. I love retrievers, man. They're such awesome dogs. But at the end of the day, a Labrador Retriever was bred to what? Retrieve. 
in the Labrador Sea, in really cold water, like their fur, the way their fur grows in, how thick, how long, uh, their body fat, the way their body's built, the chest cat, all these things were selectively bred to make an amazing retrieving dog in cold water. Is that to say that dog was bred to sit in your house all day and do nothing and be a good family dog and that's enough for it? Most likely not, guys, because you're not exercising it enough. Now, if you exercised it enough, if you took it out and went swimming and retrieved and did all these things and made it a great family dog, is that going to be enough for it? Yeah, but only if you provide that whole spectrum of instinctual fulfillment that the dog needs. I'm not saying your family isn't enough for your dog. <laughs> like, don't, don't get me wrong. But I'm saying your dog has needs that you need to help them fulfill that they can't do on their own anymore because we've domesticated them, right? We've brought them into the human world. And if we don't fulfill these things, they get frustrated. Okay. So how do you know if your dog needs more exercise? Listen to the behaviors that they're telling, that, that, that they displace. If they have obsessive behaviors, destructive behaviors, um, these are all really good signs that your dog needs more exercise, okay? More walks, more structure, more exercise. That's what always makes a happy and healthy dog. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the first pets. As today we'll be talking about Theodore Roosevelt. Now, Teddy Roosevelt is known for his many accomplishments while in office, and nature and animals are also so synonymous with the 26th president, so naturally when he moved into the White House, well, they brought a zoo with them. Now, Teddy Roosevelt and family, they brought with them more, than, uh, more animals than any other previous president. It wasn't even close. It was not even by a long shot with how many animals they brought compared to other presidents. Now, while dogs and cats are definitely the norm, Teddy and company brought with them an entire menagerie of domesticated and wild animals. Now, two of the most famous animal residents were actually their beloved Shetland ponies, uh, Algonquin and General Grant. Yes, those are their names. Now, once when the Roosevelt's son, Archie, was sick with the measles, he couldn't make the trip down to the stables to see his ponies as he loved to do so often. So his brothers, Kermit and Quentin, took it upon themselves to bring one of the ponies up to their brother. However, the bedroom that Archie was staying in was on the second floor. So naturally, the boys loaded the horse up. Where else but onto the elevator? <laughs> a 350-pound horse on the elevator. They got him in, but the horse actually became so captivated by his own reflection in the mirror, they had a hard time getting him out of there. <laughs> now, the Roosevelt's also had a stable full of horses. They had a pair of carriage horses named General and Judge, as well as the family's horses, Gray, Dawn, Jocko, Root, Renown, Roswell, Rusty, Wyoming, Yajinka, and Bleistein. Bleistein was actually Teddy's favorite horse. At one point, the kids were gifted a pig. They decided to name their beloved pig after their beloved nurse, Mammy. I'm not so certain that the compliment would be well-received by Mammy. Uh, actually, to quote uh, Teddy Roosevelt, he said, I doubt whether I ever saw Mammy really offended with the kids except once when, out of pure misunderstood affection, they named a pig after her. <laughs> now, they also had a, uh, cats named Slippers and Tom Quartz and a rabbit named Peter Rabbit. I love all the names. They're just so great. But not all the animals were always, you know, fuzzy and cute and pettable. 
Alice Roosevelt, the eldest of the Roosevelt kids, actually had a pet snake named Emily Spinach because it was green like spinach and as thin as my Aunt Emily, as she was known to say. The president's youngest son, Quentin, he had four pet snakes, but that was very short-lived. Now, the story goes that one day he stopped at a pet store, bought four snakes at once, and he was so proud of his new purchase that he wanted to show it off to his dad. So Quentin went to the Oval Office, where the president happened to be holding a very important meeting. The senators and party officials, you know, they were tolerant and allowed him to interrupt, thinking he was just coming in to say hi and give his dad a hug. But then it was, uh, it was then when Quentin dropped the four snakes on the table, all the officials ran for cover. <laughs> the snakes were eventually captured and returned to the pet store, so they didn't stick around too long. Now, the Roosevelts also had a bunch of guinea pigs. At least five guinea pigs were known to be there. Uh, you know, Teddy actually liked them because they, he said that their highly unemotional nature fits them for companionship with adoring but overenthusiastic young masters and mistresses. Essentially thought they were good pets for kids. <laughs> so also in the rodent family, they had uh, two kangaroo rats, a flying squirrel, and Jonathan. Jonathan was a piebald rat that the president described as being one of the most friendly and affectionate of nature. And Roosevelt made sure to also cover the flying friends as well. Yes, there was winged pets at the White House. Eli Yale was actually a hyacinth macaw that belonged to Quentin Roosevelt. And hyacinths, they are just gorgeous. Some of the largest, uh, actually the largest macaw. And Theodore is said to have commented that the bright blue bird which lived in the White House greenhouse looked as if he came out of Alice in Wonderland. I could kind of agree with that. Two parrots, a barn owl, and a one-legged rooster, and a hen was the uh, rounded out the feathered friends on property. Now, at age nine, Theodore's son Archie was given a pet badger, if you can believe it, whose name was Josiah. Now, they actually said that he had a, a short temper, but was fundamentally friendly, however you want to take that. <laughs> The boy actually used to carry him around in his arms and he would either the badger would actually even was known to grasp onto whatever was around him around his waist and hang on for the ride. Now, as if it weren't enough, the Roosevelt's also had, of course, the wild animals. They were known over time to have five bears, a lion, a hyena, a wildcat, a coyote, a zebra, a lizard, uh, and also a raccoon. Yeah, fascinating. Now, the bears, they, they tended to not stick around so long. <laughs> I think they were probably cute as cubs. And one of the bears was actually even known that Teddy reached out to the local zoo and had them take over. Now, during a trip abroad, the last empress of China, I mean, this is, you know, you fascinating. You think early 1900s, you have to remember. Uh, but yeah, the last empress of China gifted Alice Roosevelt with a tiny Pekingese, which she named Manchu. Yes. Now, she swore that one of the pup's favorite activities was standing on its back hind legs and dancing. And she said she'd seen him do it on the White House lawn. Yeah, she probably taught him to stand. <laughs> yeah. So they also actually had, I mean, all the dogs they had, they had a, dog, a bull terrier. This is just, this is kind of interesting. A bull terrier named Pete. Pete had a little too much energy, I think, for the White House, though. Uh, they're not really sure. Might, you know, some cite him as a Boston Terrier or a Bulldog. I would guess probably toward a Bulldog, being that how the story goes, because he had a tendency to bite people and be a bit destructive. It actually became a huge problem. He was biting like ambassadors and dignitaries. Uh, not so good. So 
Teddy actually decided that Pete needed to go to their home, uh, I believe in what, Long Island, yes. So it was actually, France actually uh, had, had made a formal complaint to the United States as their ambassador had gotten bit. So not really, uh, not really good for relations when you have a dog biting everybody coming to the White House. Now, they also had a family friend named Alfred S. Rollo. And uh, in 1902, he actually had tried to gift Roosevelt with a giant St. Bernard puppy. Interestingly, though, Roosevelt had said he wanted nothing to do with it. In December of that year, he actually wrote to Rollo saying, I'm going to ask you not to think me churlish. If I say we have three collies already, one of them a puppy, and four other dogs in addition, and that I really do not have house room or stable room for any more. I dare not venture to tell your proposition to my children. <laughs> now, I, we don't really know if something was lost in translation or Rolo just flat out ignored his letter because he sent the dog to him anyway. Now, President Roosevelt ended up falling in love with the gentle giant. How in the world could you not? And he was often seen by the president's side. So really cool. And I mean, it just seems appropriate that Teddy Roosevelt had all these animals in office, seemed to be very well tolerated by everyone around him, maybe with the exception of the dog that bit, uh, you know, but I just, I always find it fascinating on how uh, the history of this wonderful country and animals go hand in hand. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Carol from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Carol says, My dog has a skin allergy of some kind, but we don't know what it is. My vet has him on Apoquil, which does help some, but he still itches and scratches like crazy. It almost gets to a point where I feel like his scratching is actually causing the itching. Like it's a chicken or an egg type of situation. Any thoughts on this? Yeah, Carol, you know, I, I've seen this quite a few times where I get what you're saying, chicken or the egg, you know, is his actual scratching causing the itching? Is it causing a skin irritation? Uh, and it's the actual scratching that's causing a skin irritation and that skin irritation itself. The thing with allergies and dogs is they can be tricky. You most likely will never know what exactly is causing your dog's allergy if he does have an allergy. Now, any thoughts on this, as you asked? Uh, my thoughts are also, here's another thought, something you may not have thought about. Like, and I don't know because you didn't tell me anything about your dog's behavior because most people don't think uh, behavior medical, but behavior and medical issues actually go hand in hand quite often. And I have found dogs that have anxiety issues or stress a lot, right? Maybe, maybe high anxiety, they tend to have skin issues, I find it very common. You know, at first I didn't think anything of it, but the more I saw this pattern over the years become crystal clear, it's like, duh, you know, like it's it's right there in front of our faces. There's, there's the evidence. Um, dogs can develop what we might look at as like a nervous tick, if you will. Um, look, I have one client who it's, it's fascinating that this dog will sit down and itch itself. And it is completely a nervous tick because I will board this dog for a week, 10 days, and he'll do it maybe the first day or two, and then he won't do it again. But the second we get home and they open the front door, he gets anxious and he'll sit down and itch himself and he'll stand up and he'll maybe try and then he'll sit down and itch himself. And he almost does it when I don't let him be anxious, when I'm trying to, you know, get him to not let him be anxious. And it, it's like, it's like this frustration. Grr. 
and it becomes habitual and then they practice it. And then it's like the anxiety brings on this like nervous tick. Uh, another dog recently where a smaller dog, sort of brachycephalic, not like a, not like we're not talking like Boston Terrier. It's, it's a mixed breed, uh, but it's definitely got a shorter snout and you'll know where dogs will have these like wheezing fits. And I've noticed again, dogs that are anxious tend to <laughs> work themselves up and then they can't breathe and they have, right. They have the fit. Well, a dog that was recently in my care who at first did it like the first day or two and then stopped doing it because it wasn't as anxious after I started working with her. The more I exercised her, the less anxious. So, you know, not to kind of go off on this, but a lot of times these medical conditions, especially, again, the stress, again, I see it with the skin allergies or skin conditions, uh, they go hand in hand with anxiety. So maybe you should try to approach it from a behavioral perspective and see if that maybe um, shines some light on it. Notice when he's itching. How often he itches? How many repetitions of the itch are there? If you start to see some crystal clear patterns in that regard, he's most likely not actually itchy. He's itching out of a pattern, you know? But then if he starts itching himself to a point that becomes irritated and then starts itching all the time, I know, can become a little difficult to distinguish. And that's why you want to try to see if you can look at it from a behavioral uh, <clears throat> excuse me, perspective. See if you can find a pattern to the behavior. Because if you can find a pattern, then we can break the pattern. That's the key. Um, so look, Apoquil is good stuff. Also, you know, on that, I, I've, I've had a lot of clients that have had success with Apoquil where we do have a dog who has a clear allergy uh, and the Apoquil does help. But you're saying that it helps some. Ah, see, that leads me to believe it's more behavioral because Apoquil is good stuff. Uh, so, you know, uh, here you go. There's my two cents on it. Next question. This comes from Mike from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Now Mike says, my dog is obsessed with moving cars and bikes. She doesn't care if they are at a standstill, but the moment they start to move, she wants to go after them. Now I've tried to getting her to stop using a gentle leader and a harness, but nothing works. I am new to the show and have really enjoyed the first few episodes I've listened to. Any advice on this? All right, Mike, first thing I'm going to tell you, let's get the right tools, okay? Got to get a martingale collar. Um, you know, I, it doesn't really matter what size or breed your dog is. Uh, go out there and find yourself a martingale collar, M-A-R-T-I-N-G-A-L-E, just what it sounds like, martingale collar. Um, make sure you get the one with the part chain, part cloth. It's two-thirds cloth, one-third chain, okay? Martingale collar, martingale collar, the best collar on the market. Um, I don't know what kind of leash you're using, but hey, get a regular old six-foot nylon leash or leather leash. That's what you want to go for. Okay, that's the first thing. Get the right tools. Uh, we also want to have a treat pouch on us. Hopefully your dog is food motivated, right? Should be. And uh, we can start to use some food to try to create a new pattern. Like what we want to really try to do is redirect your dog's focus away from the distraction, using the collar, utilizing a proper collar to be able to control their focus, right? I don't find the gentle leader helps me do that quite as well. And a harness sure doesn't. Okay. Harness isn't going to help you guide and direct focus. So that martingale collar are used correctly with little in and out corrections, uh, little in and out redirections. We can actually get your dog to hopefully focus up on you. If you can get any kind of eye contact or your dog looking up at you, if she looks up at you, tell her good girl and give her a treat. We want to try to build upon that. And the whole concept we want to teach your dog is, Hey, ignore this moving thing. Look at me and get food. We can build off of it from there, you know, uh, and go more in depth, but that's where you've got to start. That's where it's got to begin trying to redirect that focus. Now, uh, tip I always give, right? Kissy noise exercise. And you listen to this before, you know what I'm talking about. Make that kissy noise, call her name. Now, sorry, first, I want you to do this at home. <laughs> before you go out for a walk, I want you to leash her up inside the house with no distractions. And I want you to kissy noise, 
call her name, get her to look up at you, get that eye contact, lock it, tell her good girl, and feed her. Okay, and what we're trying to do is create this concept of that, hey, I make this kissing noise, you redirect and look up at me, and then I get you food. <laughs> okay, very basic to start with. But we can utilize that once we're out on the walk, kissing noise, hopefully she'll be more willing to redirect off of, you know, the moving car, the moving bike, whatever it is, uh, and look up at you. And then you can reward it. And then we can start to teach her, hey, ignoring these moving things gets you something. Okay, but it has to start by creating focus before you get on the walk, using the right training tools, and then trying to redirect that focus once you get out on the walk. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the largest living organism in the world? It's the honey mushroom. Yes, discovered in the Mount Here National Forest in Oregon, it occupies an area of 2,385 acres equivalent to 1,350 soccer fields. Yes, the honey mushroom is well known for its glowing surface caused by bioluminescent bacteria, although most of its tissue is only around, is actually around three feet underground in the form of a root-like mycelia, so you really aren't going to see much of it. Now, its age is calculated to be at least 2,400 years old, but maybe as much as 8,650 years old. <laughs> That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, go ahead and do so right now. All you Apple Podcast users, if you love what you're hearing, click that five-star rating or leave me an awesome review. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog.